Hey everybody, welcome back to Grey Malkin Lane, the podcast where queer friends and allies gather to review and discuss the original X-Men comics from the 1960s. Uh, all you need to know moving into today's issue, Professor X is seemingly dead, although he's really hiding in the basement like a creep. And uh, Fred Duncan of the FBI has disbanded the team and has instructed the five original X-Men to move around the country so they can be prepared to help other mutants. This is not a status quo that lasted for very long, but today's issue falls into that space. Uh, in our last couple of episodes, we saw Iceman and Beast bought, battle the Mahayogi and then Metoxo. We'll talk about that later. Uh, but today we're going to find out what's happening with Cyclops and Jean Grey. This issue is nonsense, but also kind of wonderful. Uh, so today we're covering X-Men number 48, which is uh, from September 1968. It's called Beware Computo, Commander of the Robot Hive, which is quite the mouthful. Uh, and it is written by Arnold Drake, with pencils by Werner Robb and Don Heck, inks by John Burporton, and letters by Irving Watanabe. Now, I promised a couple episodes I'd give a little blurb about Irving Watanabe. We haven't talked about him on the pod before, and I looked him up, and there's not a lot of information available. I couldn't find a photo, I could only find a caricature that's been drawn. From what I can into it, he was Japanese, or Japanese-American, I'm not confident, and worked for Marvel for a long time. He is credited on around 600 books as a letterer, editor, editor inker. Uh, he died, I think, back in the 1980s. Uh, so if there's anybody that has good resources uh, for information on him, I would love to do a better presentation. We like to talk about our creators, but I couldn't find a lot about Irving. Uh, if he is Japanese, as I suspect, this is one of Marvel's kind of early diverse hires, if you will, then, because uh, it was just a lot of white guys working at the office back then. Uh, okay, so we're going to jump into today's issue, but first we're going to introduce our guests. Uh, I am thrilled to have all three of them here. Uh, uh, we have one person returning, two people brand new. Our featured guest for today is someone whose art I have admired for a long time. Uh, Mr. Will Robson is with us. Hi, Will. How are you? Hello, everybody. Uh, Will, do you want to start us off, uh, let us know uh, your gender pronouns, and then just tell us a little bit about your professional career, where we might know you from best. Uh, my pronouns are he, him, um, and you probably know me mostly from Marvel stuff, because that's uh, a large body of my work. I was the artist for the relaunch of the Great Lakes Avengers, um, the Damage Control, which is coming out soon. I, I drew the first couple of issues. Um and a plethora of random stuff like Venom, X-Men, this, that, and the other, Deadpool, loads of stuff. Uh, but recently I've been working a lot with uh, DC. I just, I have a, a book coming out called Earth Prime issue six, which is a tie into all the CW shows. So it's sort of like a continuation of all of that where they're all together and just a bunch of stuff, I've, lo loads of things. Look me up, I've done stuff. And I'll be asking you about some of your more Marvel-focused work and your career in just a few minutes. But, Will, what an honor to have you with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We are also joined by the comic writer, Tommy Stella. Tommy, how are you? Hello, I'm doing great. How are you doing? Doing just fine. So, same question. Tell us your gender pronouns and uh, where we might know you from. Sure. So, I'm he, him. Um, and also, I mean... I think what most people would know me from, which is not not as as fun as promoting myself, um, but I'm also the assistant to uh, the writer Charles Soule. Um, he does a ton of like Star Wars and uh, mostly Star Wars stuff right now, which is pretty awesome. Uh, so I feel like a lot of people listening might know me from uh, walking by Charles's tables at conventions and uh, seeing a very tired guy eating a bagel or something like that. <laughs> uh, that's me. Hello. <laughs> but I also am uh, trying to break into the comics industry uh, through writing. So I have a few uh, issues that are out now, all like self-published stuff, trying to build up the resume. 
Um, and it just, I've been having a lot of fun kind of learning the, uh, learning the industry over the last couple of years is trying to, to break into it. And it's, it's been a good time. Well, and you're working a lot with the artist Echo Costello. I had a, a, a mm-hmm. Costello, excuse me. I've had a chance to read through a lot of your indie work uh, and their art is gorgeous and your writing is oh, really yeah. fun. I'm, I'm so happy to have you here, Tommy. Thank you for joining us. Thank, thank you for asking me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then lastly, we have, uh, but certainly not leastly, we have uh, Chris Hassan rejoining us. Chris, how are you? I'm good. Uh, thanks for having me back, Chad. Yeah, thanks for coming back. Uh, I know you're a very busy person, as all of us are. Uh, same question, gender pronouns, where people might know you from best. Yeah, uh, he, him, uh, and I write uh, X-Men Monday for AAPT. Uh, that's at uh, aaptcomics.com. It's a comic and entertainment website. But yeah, X-Men Monday, if people have never read it, it's a weekly X-Men interview column. I work with Jordan D. White, the senior X-Men editor over at Marvel. And uh, yeah, recent weeks we've had uh, Vita Ayala, we've had Jason Lowe, we've had Teeny Howard. Uh, the next one on this coming Monday is uh, Roy Thomas, the uh, second part of our interview, uh, which I know you've talked to him, Chad. Yeah, um, yeah, Roy's and- great. And then uh, after that, we're doing a Father's Day edition with Jordan, uh, ex-dads. So that one should be good. Um, but yeah, always good stuff coming up there. And I'm uh, excited to talk about this uh, X-Men issue. Because I know, Chad, I had mentioned the last time I was on, if you do this issue, I'll come back. And here we are. <laughs> here we are. I invited you specially for this crazy nonsense issue. Uh, actually, so by the time this episode comes out, the interviews you just mentioned will have already aired. But yeah, keep, yeah. keep, keep, uh, keep your eyes out on uh, X-Men Monday on AIPT. It's great. It's one of my favorite things about Mondays. Uh, just get to wake up and look forward to that column every time. Uh, so keep up the great work. So we're going to spend the first part of our podcast and, and uh, uh, uh Chris, you've been with me before, Tommy, it's your first time, but feel free to interject with any questions or comments at any time. Uh, so this is just kind of open conversation format. Uh, Will, I have had the the honor of reading all of your Marvel work uh, really? uh, chronologically over this last week. And um, I've interviewed a number of artists on the pod now. And one of the things that always stands out when I read a lot in a row like this is just the signature styles of what makes an artist unique. Uh, your, your, your way of drawing faces and bodies and action uh, whether you are drawing Deadpool or Big Bertha, like you have this this characteristic style of of really wonderful art that uh, that captures a lot of of uh, drama and action, but kind of in a for me at least kind of a Saturday morning cartoon feel with like a very characteristic style about it. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you got into art in the first place. Um, so I was I've always been drawing ever since i was a little kid my my brother and i we have loved uh comics and, and superhero stuff we actually have our own podcast uh spider-man the animated series podcast where we interview people that made that television show uh because that shows the reason why we got into like superhero stuff in the first place batman the animated series all that stuff and then uh, growing up uh, in America, we had this store in New Jersey called Jambalaya, which was just like a bubblegum baseball cards comic store. It was the like, you know, the best place you could go to as a kid. And I found all of these issues of Peter Parker's Spider-Man by John Romita Jr. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. And then I fell in love with Tom McFarlane and all this stuff. And then I kind of grew out of it when I was sort of like a teenager. I wanted to make films, so I went to film school. And then after film school, it kind of taught me like, all right, well, if you want to do this, you you need so much money to like get a film funded and, and all this stuff if you want to be a creator. And, I, and then I started sort of getting back into comics because there was a local comic store in my ta- my university town. And I found the relaunch of Batman uh, with Greg Capullo and Scott Snyder. And I saw that Greg Capullo art. And I was like, this is like 
the best comic book art I've ever seen. And it just made me deep dive back into comics. And, and I, after I graduated university, I said, you know what? I kind of want to do this for a living. So I, I listened to all these interviews and read all of these things where all these artists were like, basically, if you draw it all day, every day for three years straight, then you might have a chance of breaking into comics. So I was like, all right, well, that's what I'm going to do. And I did that and it worked. <laughs> um so yeah i just drew all day every day and, and knuckled down found my style i did a lot of youtube stuff as well like tutorials and and like videos of me going to conventions trying to break in and all this other stuff um yeah and i i finally marvel was going to be at this big convention in london um where heather antos and um uh oh god what can i remember his name he freaking broke me into comics. Why can't I remember his name? Jesus Christ. He's the editor-in-chief at Marvel. Uh, yeah. Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Anyway, so yeah, I, I had a portfolio review there. Uh, I luckily got through and um, sort of made contact there. I did sample, like they said, oh, we're going to want you to do some sample pages to see what, how you look over our works. So they gave me some Spider-Gwen stuff to do. And I was like, I'm not going to dick around with this. I'm going to do it immediately to show that like I'm ready to work you know like i know there's other people that like were like oh i'll get to and i'll get to i want i wanted to show them like i can hit a deadline i'm ready to work right away so these five pages i handed it in like six or seven days so i was like boom done there you go there's the there's the work and then about a month later randomly i got called up because someone needed a filler in on star lord and and i did that and then my career kind of snowballed from them so you started with star lord and then ended up on great lakes avengers next if i'm tracking things right yes uh, and we had the chance to have Zach Gorman on the podcast once. We talked. Oh, about, really? We talked about GLA, which was a lot of fun. Um, uh, I'm actually going to start my question there, just because it was your first work. We focus a lot on X Men and mutants, of course, but we touch on stuff from all over Marvel. But uh, Great Lakes Avengers has a, a number of mutant characters who are not associated with the X Men. Hmm. Uh, they are kind of silly nonsense characters that are occasionally treated with a lot of love and affection, uh, but often used just as jokes. Uh, one of the things you did really beautifully in that series is redefine the character of Big Bertha, who comes up on my podcast a surprising amount. Really? <laughs> because she has had such a problematic portrayal in the comics yes. so often. Uh, but you did some really beautiful work. So tell us a little bit about your your work on Great Lakes Avengers. What did you enjoy? Uh, well, I definitely enjoyed uh, the Big Bertha aspect because one of the things that we initially set out to do was to try and make her a positive character to because obviously her past is is riddled with you know mistakes really from that's the only word i can think of it's just well and just i'll interject very quickly she's she's a supermodel by day who her mutant power is to balloon up to super strong obese size i don't know how else yeah. to phrase that uh but then there was a, a storyline shortly before you guys did your series in which it was revealed that in order to get skinny again she had to make herself throw up in the toilet which was yeah. a hugely problematic portrayal for positivity in any aspect so yeah anyway go ahead I think maybe at the times it was probably more socially acceptable to have something like that. But certainly when we relaunched it, it definitely wasn't. Uh, and it definitely wasn't socially acceptable anyway. But I just mean, you know, it's like people, I look back how much I used to laugh at South Park so much. And then I watched some few, few old episodes. I'm like, I found that funny. Oh, God. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, so, yeah, one of the things that was great was um, uh, the, the fact that we were trying to make her more body, body positive and actually the reference it was funny because i like, going into it, i was like well i should model her after tess holiday then uh and funnily enough they were like 
his preference of the test holiday that we think you should use to reference already. So I was like, oh, great. So we're on the same page immediately. Uh, for you, to, those who don't know, test holidays are a plus size model. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah, so we did that. Um, and it was just, it was just incredible. Cause I mean, I started out just doing, I think 15 pages of Star Lord, And then I just emailed every single editor at Marvel, like, Hey, I'm a Marvel artist and I'm ready to work. You got anything for me? And then Tom Brevoort ran, he was like, yeah, I got something for you. If you want to have a go, I was on holiday when he sent, he was like, can you draw me a sample of the Great Lakes Avengers to see if you'd be a good fit for this book? And I, I was in Turkey with my uh, girlfriend at the time. And yeah, I was just like, forget holiday. I'm going to sit down and draw these characters to make sure I land this gig. Um, and yeah, it, it was great. Uh, one of the reasons we've talked about these characters on the pod more than once, uh, I love Obscure Marvel, but they there is a queer character, Flatman, who is a gay mutant on the team. Uh, you also got to create the character Good Boy, who's not a mutant, but mm. seemed to, it was never quite revealed, but seemed to be uh, one of Marvel's kind of first trans characters. Uh, yes. a, a female that turns into a kind of a large wolf form. Uh, uh, anything you want to share on those two? Um, I, I really loved the concept of that. It kind of reminded me uh, originally of um, a reverse of what Switch was supposed to be in The Matrix, where Switch, that character originally was supposed to be outside the Matrix, would be oh no, inside the Matrix, a man, outside of the Matrix, a woman. Um, and it was, I thought it was really cool to that. I remember all these people sending in fan art that just didn't get it where they're like, why don't you draw a bra on good boy? I'm like, it's in the name. It's good boy. Like, like, come on. Um, so yeah, that was, uh, that was a lot of fun to create. Zach just had crazy ideas that I just continuously drew as the issues went on. Uh, uh, Tommy or Chris, are you guys GLA fans? Yeah, I actually just, I bought the, um, weird way of getting this but i <laughs> i was trading in like selling a lot of old like toys and stuff um that i had had to make space and at the store they give you more credit than they give you money so i'm like all right i'll pick some some stuff here but it's a toy store that has a couple like old comics and things like that so i'm like if i just get more toys i'm defeating the purpose of making space at home <laughs> so i was like i'll get a book so i, I was like i have like a hundred dollars credit whatever and they had the um John Byrne Avengers Omnibus. So I'm like, oh, I've never read like all those Wanda stories. So I'll, I'll, I'll get this. And I read it and that's where the, the Great Lakes Avengers are first introduced. So I was actually only recent, like I always knew about them, but only recently did I learn their origins. So that was cool. But uh, yeah, they're cool. Yeah, they're uh, they're surprisingly fun. Uh, I don't know. It's it's a fun team. Tell me any, uh, any thoughts there? Uh, I mean, yeah, back, back when I was in college, um, I, I, I kind of, I, I loved comics when I was a kid. And then, uh, kind of like, well, I, I stopped for a, a bit because it was just hard to keep up and all that. Um, but then when I was in college, I had some roommates that were obsessed with comics and, I, and honestly, thank, thank, thankful for them. Um, and one day they were like, hey, this one's kind of like Rick and Morty. And I was like, oh, let me check it out. I'm in college. I like Rick and Morty. Um, and yeah, it was, it was the Great Lake Avengers. And I, I forget who did the, I don't know if it was like the first run that they had with them or whenever, whenever they were created. It, it felt like very much like an origin story, if I remember correctly. It was just like eight years ago i think i read it um but yeah i, I thought it was fantastic uh back then it was like the perfect thing i needed to get kind of back into comics because it was just uh silly fun that didn't really require too much knowledge around it which i know is usually what keeps people away a little bit uh and it just like yeah it always stuck with me that it was such like a little fun rambunctious team 
one of uh, my, my first introduction to them as a fan was in Joe Kelly's Deadpool uh, in the late 90s, which was so much fun. And they were just these ridiculous characters. And then the Squirrel Girl stuff that happened, uh, of course, it's a, it's a really fun team. Now, well, right after that, you got to work uh, on, this is X-Men adjacent to the very least, but a couple issues of Spider-Man Deadpool yes. uh, featuring Marvel's worst character, Slapstick. <laughs> well, you don't like slapstick. Sla- you don't like there's any Slapstick fans out there, my apologies. <laughs> uh, but Deadpool we love, of course, uh, in the X-Men. Tell us a little bit about your work with Joshua Corrin. Um, It was, you know, it was cr- to start in Marvel, like, you know, doing Star Lord me, that was cool. And then I did Great Lakes Avengers. I think I was on that book drawing it for like a year, a year and a half. Um, so to suddenly be like, all right, the next book you are drawing Spider-Man. I was like, oh, my God. Like, it was crazy. Like, I was like, oh, I've arrived, you know, like not saying that I don't like the Great Lakes Avengers, but like I was finally given an opportunity to draw some, you know, huge characters. So I was really excited about that. But the funny thing was is... Um, slapstick when you're supposed to draw him you're supposed to draw him extremely cartoony mm-hmm. but at the time my art was extremely cartoony anyway so you could you can't really tell the fucking difference between if he's a cartoon or not and the other people because it <laughs> everyone just looks super cartoony no matter what so i kind of dropped the ball on that one personally but uh no that was a, that was a lot of fun and um i think afterwards uh a big art influence of mine todd knock took over the book and i drew a couple covers over that so that was that was really rewarding to do that too and then you've been able to, uh, you've only done a couple uh, of focused X-Men projects. We'll get to those in a second. Mm. But you've been able to do X-Men characters yes. in kind of some unexpected places that some of our, our our active X-Men readers may not know about. So there was a period of time in Marvel where they were really pushing the Inhumans characters. I think yes. trying to get them to take the place of the X-Men. There was a number of books that were launched. Some of them were quite decent, actually. Uh, but they never just quite stuck with the readers. But one of them was called Secret Warriors. Uh, which was a really fun title uh, uh, that had a lot of X-Men connections, strangely. Uh, So written by Matthew Rosenberg, who's, of course, an infamous X-Men writer. But we got to see a team of Inhumans characters that may not be familiar to many, but Moon Girl's on the team, as is Quake from the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. show. Uh, And uh, we got to see Magic join the team, and they had a series of adventures against both Dark Beast and Mr. Sinister, uh, who was uh, quite frightening and humorous in your in your uh, run on that title uh tell us a little bit about your secret warriors work i didn't do too much on that that project i i was kind of tag teaming that book with somebody else i can't remember who but it was like a few pages by me a few pages by somebody else um uh, that was the first time i started uh because i work digitally um that was the first time i started using an ipad fully for my work which changed everything because I get to lay on the sofa with my dog in my lap now, which is amazing. Like that's how I work now. I used to work in like, like I have this office that I'm in right now and it doesn't get used. I play guitar in here occasionally because otherwise I'm on the sofa with my dog. Um, but it was, it was really cool. Again, the other artist like, on that book, I just looked it up was, uh, was Javier Gron. Is that oh, sound right? Yes. And Javier is also the artist uh, who was on Star Lord. Oh, sure. And I remember, I remember telling him like, thanks for, you know, always being like, Anytime someone needs to come in and help a book, I'm the guy because that, that was much appreciated. But it, it was great because I was still ticking characters off of like my list that I wanted to draw. Like uh, I drew, I think, Miss Marvel for a single panel in that book as well. Um, and I just, can't believe I just mentioned Moon Girl in that book and not Ms. Marvel. Yes, Ms. Marvel was part of the <laughs> Secret Warriors as well. Yes, 
uh yeah and and quake and um moongo i, I actually really enjoyed drawing especially De- devil dinosaur as well i drew i remember one shot of them in the sewers that I had a lot of fun drawing so yeah that was good yeah crazy mr sinister stuff uh and then you also got to do uh some of our beloved favorite 80s characters Artie and leech in your future foundation series with uh jeremy whitley oh yeah oh uh, my god this Artie is so and weird. Are not heavily featured in that book but there is a romance between Lightspeed and the female Bucky. Uh, so for our yes. queer, queer, queer fans, uh, that one's always fun to look up to. Uh, tell us a little bit about Future Foundation. Um, that was a really fun project that sadly just didn't have enough readers. Um, so it sadly got canceled. Um, yeah, it seemed like there was a lot of big ideas that, that never quite they, had time to develop. They had been, uh, I think for two years, they had been coming up with like all the arcs for that story. And that was a great opportunity for me because I got to redesign all of their costumes. So as an artist, like any, I, I know costumes get redesigned way too much anyway, but as an artist, that's all I want to do is like, this is my take on these famous characters. Like that's fun, you know? So getting to do that was was great. Um, and there was going to be so many more introductions, but yeah, my favorite character in that was um, uh, the, the, the uh, female Bucky. I can't remember her name right now. Uh, uh, Rebecca Barnes, I believe. Rebecca Barnes, yeah. yeah. And we, I accidentally drew her a bit too muscly and the editorial on the right was like, no, keep doing that. We like that. I was like, all right. And I remember when, all, when the book was coming out, all of these like people on Twitter being like, look at her guns, like thirst trapping over like all of these guns. It was so funny. That's fantastic. Uh, before I continue, Chris, do you have any questions for Will? Uh, I was going to ask about, I know you mentioned uh, you have a, a Spider-Man podcast and I saw on your YouTube channel, you still do uh, some, you do some drawing, they have a guest on, you had like Heather Antos, you had Zeb Wells. Uh, so I was just curious, like um, that you've kind of, you're in the industry, uh, why have you kind of kept that going? Is that just a fun side thing or is it a way to get more engagement? I did that during uh, the early days of the pandemic. Um because I, well, one, I was selling commissions to keep afloat because Marvel had shut their doors. So at the time I was drawing damage control, Marvel shut their doors, so I was out of work. And I was like, I got to make money somehow. So I just decided to start doing more of a YouTube show, drawing commissions and selling commissions. But then I wanted to make it a bit more fun and have, you know, guests on that I like, like Zeb, who's amazing. I mean, what an interesting guy um and heather who's like the the best the most knowledgeable editor of all time uh and and like i people have talked to me about that like oh you should keep doing that and i have been thinking about it but the problem with the comics business is when you're drawing comics it's pretty much all you're doing like it's it eats up your whole life you gotta love it to do it that's for sure but i would like to continue doing that in some vein at some point yeah it's great to hear that um the damage control seems like you were doing before the pandemic and now it's finally coming out so it's great to see they're bringing those books back yeah it's 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 oh my god i mean i started drawing it in late 2019 and now it's finally coming out it's crazy yeah there was a number of titles we lost i think they're doing gwen stacy uh being published finally now which uh which oh, really? was great it was such a good series and it just kind of ended i'm glad they're finally finishing well, we have so we have uh in issue two we have uh a character in in it who now is completely changed in marvel so i had to go back and redraw his costume because he looks completely different now so i remember getting an email like two years later like hey remember one time you drew that yeah we kind of need to change that because it doesn't make any sense at all now that he'd be wearing that so oh that's fantastic uh tommy do you have any questions for will yeah uh 
I've been I've been so enthralled just listening. I feel like I'm, I'm it's like an interactive podcast. This is so new to me. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, no, I've been looking at a lot of Will's stuff, and 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 I love like the the slapstick, cartoony nature of it. Um, and I guess I was I was kind of just wondering if if Will ha- Will if you have like a favorite uh, character who kind of uh, is is the most fun to draw this specific style because obviously there's like I'm sure like if you ask a lot of comic book artists they'll say like oh I love doing like. Superman because you get those big heroic poses and 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 or Batman because he looks like cool and uh uh doing his Batman pose looking over a city or something like that but uh is there a character that when you've drawn them you're like oh this is like this is my character like this is this this fits my style perfectly so it's funny like everyone's talking like uh right now my art style has completely changed it's gotten a lot darker and grittier and it's actually going in the direction that I always intended it to go because I'm a huge spawn fan and i'm a huge um like batman fan and i just love and sin city all dark gritty noir that's what i really enjoy but i was the problem was is i was i was always too tedious to introduce solid blacks into my work like inks and rendering i just i just didn't have the confidence and over the pandemic since i didn't have work i was like you know what i'm gonna finally figure this fucking thing out and i and i sat down and i did it i can actually show you a teaser uh, here because I'm currently on a Batman book. Because um, since you guys aren't showing this to anybody, sorry if it's not interesting content for listeners. <laughs> but, <laughs> they get to hear um, our reactions. It'll be fun. Yeah. But when I did over it, keep it uh, censored. <laughs> when I when I when I was drawing more of my cartoony style, it was Deadpool. I mean, I, the mm-hmm. the flexibility I had to do whatever I wanted with that character, and I really wanted to do more with that character. Um, anyway, this is cur- currently the type of work that I'm doing now. Oh, gorgeous. So as, as you can see, there's, there's a lot more shading and, and shadow work, and it's way less cartoony and stuff like that. And this is, this is the direction that I've always wanted to go, because I did a Vampirella book that I wrote and drew at the tail end of last year. Because I, I just like Tommy, I, I am also trying to break in as a writer. And even if I am a comic book artist, I'm, I just had to start from ground zero of, of doing that. Like, they, just because you draw comics, they're not like, hey, sure, I'll give you a shot drawing. That's not how it works. I remember sending pitches to Tom Brevo, and he just said, like, look, we love your art. You're ready to play. You know, if this is baseball, you're ready to play for the majors, but you got to, like, go down to the minors if you want to, like, just start writing for us. And I was like, that's completely fair. So that's what I've been trying to do as well, because I just love uh, – Writing and drawing. That's what I really, really want to do. I, uh, Too powerful yeah. then. Hmm. <laughs> I worked on the Marble Handbooks back in 2005 to 2011. And I had a period where I was trying to break into the industry as a writer. I wrote a number of indie books and published a couple of things. And uh, I, I got some of the same feedback from my contacts in Marvel, which they were all really lovely. But they're like, yeah, you got to go make a name for yourself first. And then I came out of the closet and had to go in a few different directions in life. <laughs> but now I'm podcasting. So it's a, it's a fun journey. The thing about art is, is you can just show somebody your art and they'll be like, this is good. You can work for us. With writing, it's so much harder to get someone to take a look at your work, like incredibly harder because you actually have to sit down and read it. I'm lucky in the sense that since I already have established myself as an artist, I can have the opportunities to work with certain companies and say, all right, I want to work on this book, but I'd like to write it. I'm at, I'm at that situation now where I can potentially get away with that because then what happens is, is I will put my heart and soul into drawing it. 
to make it look really good so that people will go, wow, this art looks cool. I'm like, well, you should read it as well because the writing's pretty good as well. So I'm lucky in the sense where I like I like to work with me, basically. <laughs> I trust me as a writer and I trust me as an artist. Uh, so I'm lucky in that sense. But yeah, if you're just trying to break in as a writer, it is the hardest thing to do in comics, 100%. Anybody can, you know, get really good at coloring and showing it off. I don't know how lettering works. I think it's, I have, I have no idea. But uh, writing for mainstream comics, it's a tough thing to break into, like really tough. And I'm struggling myself. Lettering seems to be um, much more of a kind of a technical relationship building thing, but writing, I mean, drawing, of course, is, is an incredible feat, but yeah, you can show someone pictures with art, it's scripts. And that takes a lot of time to read. It's not just script. No one wants to see scripts. They want to see comics. So if you're a writer, you've got to, you basically have to gamble on yourself. You have to invest in paying for artists to draw your own indie books or go through the, uh, you know, the crowdfunding method and all this stuff, it's a ton of work. I, I, and that's why you got to, like, with anything in life, with these type of jobs, you got to love it. Because for me, I, I don't accept no when it comes to any of this stuff. Like, that's how I broke in as an artist. I just constantly went at it, went at it, went at it, no matter how many times I heard no. I just knew that one day I would hear yes. And I did. And, and that has changed my mentality and everything. So me deciding now, like, I want to be a writer and working towards that, it's I'm finally at a stage where I've got some cool things lined up, which I'm really excited about, but it, it didn't fall in my lap. You know, I work really hard to get yeah, uh, it's, that. It's years and years of hitting the pavement. And I think, I think they often want to get uh, writers and or artists who have a little bit of clout, a following online and people who look forward to their work and know what they're doing. Uh, Tommy, how's your, how's your experience been uh, writing indie comics so far? Uh, it's it has been good. Um, I, I, working with Echo is is incredible. Uh, they, I, I grew up on like Disney movies and things like that, so the fact that their work kind of like feels like a two D Pixar thing just is fantastic to me. But um, branching beyond Echo, which which they they request, you know, they're they're busy. Um, it is it is tough for a writer to kind of just go around and uh, find someone to work with. And uh, I mean, I'm I'm someone who. I wish I could give the writer a billion dollars per issue and and take like no profit myself. Like I just love creating stories and making comics. Like having something that I wrote down be visual is is like the coolest thing to me. Um, so I'm not even like in it to really like do anything crazy. I just want to share some stories. Uh, so it's it's been kind of tough, um, just kind of tracking down more people to work with. Kind of um, the things that I've done already, I'm very proud of. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with Will that that it is really hard kind of breaking in as a writer just because you do need to rely on so many other people. And, and there are some amazing people out there, but it's it's hard to necessarily find them. Like I, I got so lucky finding Echo uh, that I'm just trying to find another Echo, you know, uh, an Echo of Echo, if you will. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's 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 tough. And I and then and then I'll, I'll like tweet about it saying, hey, I'm trying to do a, a children's horror comic. Anyone interested? And that's how I learned that uh, Twitter bots exist. And I got like 83 DMs from people saying like, I am your artist. And then I'll click on their profile <laughs> and it's like 15 logos, like 20 furry art, like 3D animation. And I'm like, oh, this is all stolen. Uh, so it's, it's, it's been a struggle, but it is, I, I think uh, what Will said, the whole idea that you have to actually get things done before anyone will look at it. Uh, is 100% true. And, and that's something that 
I had to like learn the hard way because I was, you know, I would write scripts and I'd be like, this is enough, right? Like, like people read scripts and then finding out that no, no one will read your script. It's a script, you know? Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's been tough. Um, but I, I, I am very excited to keep going. Like it, it's always, it's been fun every step of the way, even when I'm getting uh, spammed by bots. <laughs> yeah. Well, it sounds like you have the passion for it, which is like, that's, that's all you need. I mean, you look at someone like Robert Kirkman who maxed out so many credit cards to pay for all his books to be made just so he could make a body of work. Same with filmmaker Kevin Smith. He did the same exact thing. He got all those credit cards. Now that's not my advice. I don't suggest people out there to go severely into debt to gamble on yourself, but it is a method. <laughs> just frantically typing to every artist I know. I was like, oh, I'll give you whatever my credit limit is. Exactly. Uh. Yeah. Would you like a credit card for your art, please? So many people have to do the day job so that they can support themselves while they do what they love on the side. And that's kind of the play. And it's, you know, it's never been easier to break in because we have the internet and ways of connecting, but there's also a more saturated market now because so many people are trying to break in. Uh, Chris, do you have any, I know you do uh, journalism for lack of a better term, but do you have uh, writing aspirations as well? Uh, yeah, I, I grew up drawing and writing and drawing my own comics. And then uh, like everybody else on this call, I think life got in the way in high school and you kind of get away from comics a little bit and then uh, you get back into it. But yeah, I, I wanted to write my own comics for a long time, but yeah, then I found uh, AAPT and next one Monday kind of took over my life. And then my day job also controls most of my life. So <laughs> I'm actually a vice president of like a marketing uh, of a editorial department in a marketing company. So like that, gobbles up a lot of my time um but i started as a writer there so I've, I've always kind of been doing professional writing um and similar to a lot of people in this call i went to film school as well and then i uh, found my way back into comic stuff so so yeah we'll see we'll see it's a it's a long life chad and uh, yeah yep. yes, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm a therapist uh self-employed with and two children so yeah, i totally yeah. <laughs> we do what we love on the side now uh will to get back to your uh your work directly your most focused x-men work was in there was a series of one shots called typhoid fever by yes. uh, clay mcleod chapman who's such an incredible horror writer uh yes uh, he does such great work and you got to do uh Jean gray's kind of infamous x-men red team uh fighting typhoid mary there's a lesser known mutant character named Amp that's featured a lot in that series. Uh, tell us a little bit about your work with Clay. Uh, I really enjoyed that book um, because uh, this, I love dark content. Like I said, Spawn and all this other stuff. Like, uh, so starting the issue off with her, like lighting a pigeon on fire, like was just, I was like, yep, this is, I'm in. <laughs> as, a, as a child, even. It's like, it's as like a, a, yes, a child burning a yes. bird. <laughs> yeah um so and and i was really excited as well because it was you know it, like these uh these characters these famous characters when anytime you first get to draw them it's always really exciting like for instance i'm drawing batman right now and it's like ah like i'm going crazy like it's like oh my god i'm getting paid to do this so when it was when it came to that i, I got to do bishop i got to do iceman oh my god iceman was so cool to do uh Jean gray like all for the first time getting to draw these characters um and and spider-man was in there as well so that was uh that was really exciting because i do love the x-men um and yeah it, it, again it's just that was that was really funny it was a quick turnaround on that book so i had to i had to work a bit faster but um that was when i was i would say i was going a bit too digital with my work i started relying a bit too much on 3d models and 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 finding little cheats to to make the speeding up of the of the drawing process faster because I'm I have pencil and ink all my own stuff 
which uh, was a stupid idea. I wish I just became a penciler, like Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, so I, I have to do like two jobs at once. And um, I, I've sort of, I've completely stopped doing that. I, I don't use any 3D models or anything like that anymore. And I pretend, because I still worked uh, digitally, but I just pretend like I'm drawing on a, a piece of artboard. Like that's, that's what I like now. Like I'm like, if you want to draw, if you want a cityscape in the background, don't put a 3D model in it and trace it draw a 3d you know draw a background so that's that's the, that's the one thing when i look at that book that's all i can kind of see when it happens i mean you see when i read it we'll be posting images uh uh from your art on the the week that we promote this podcast and just kind of reminding people how incredible you are and all this uh but you have built quite a career and a name for yourself and it sounds like there's huge things coming up as well well i hope you're enjoying the ride i know it's a lot of work and a lot of sweat and blood and labor but uh, but you're doing great, man. It's a, uh, it's, Thank it's you. really, be really, really, really beautiful art. Thank you very much. Yeah. I'll tell you off pod some really exciting stuff that I have coming up that I cannot wait about. Like I just, it's, I've been, we're now working professionally for six, seven years and as much fun as, as it's, as it has been to work on all these, you know, Great Lakes Avengers and, and Typho, all this like, like little bits here and there. I'm finally getting to the stuff that I've always wanted to draw and it's really exciting. Like it's, it's awesome. Yeah. You start with the indie stuff and then you get future foundation and the great lakes Avengers and then it's Batman and X-Men next, right? Like Hell yeah. <laughs> you're building up. I love it. Yeah. Uh, well, how fun. Thank you for sharing uh, uh, about your, your career and ideas. Um, before we transition into our issue review, Tommy or Chris, do you guys have any other questions for Will? I'm, I'm ready to talk about some robots. Same here. <laughs> Okay, so I'm gonna do a uh, a spoiler before we start and just give a little bit of Marvel history. Uh, this is uh, an era in the 60s where we saw a lot of characters being introduced in a lot of monthly books. Almost every issue was a new villain with the exception of people like Dr. Doom and Magneto. Uh, and there's a ton of villains in the Fantastic Four mythos. Now on the podcast before we've talked about Puppet Master and Mad Thinker and different characters that the X-Men have faced, at least peripherally. But there's a new character in the X-Men mythos here, uh, and this is his third appearance of all time. In Fantastic Four Annual Number 4, the Mad Thinker creates a sentient computer uh, that longs for a human body. And uh, a year later, in Fantastic Four Annual Number 5, Silver Surfer is down on Earth, and he comes in contact with this computer program, and he promises to make him a body, which he does, but the body turns out to be misshapen and ugly, the, the incontinuity reason is because the sentient program had an ugly repulsive personality, basically. So he got an ugly repulsive body. Uh, he calls himself the quasi motivational destruct organism, which is almost kind of Modoc like, who, you know, mm. right? Uh, but uh, quasi Modoc. So, he, so he's quasi Modo for short, the quasi motivational destruct organism. So the DO is for destruct organism. Uh, and he's kind of a bizarre character in. 60 years, he's only appeared maybe 25, 30 times. Uh, there'll, there'll be a whole decade where he never shows up and then he pops up for an issue or two somewhere. Uh, but that's kind of the uh, the villain for this piece uh, moving into our conversation today. So we get Quasimodo, uh, not to be confused with the Disney character <laughs> or the classic literary character, uh, but this is a Marvel robot um, who is uh 60s deliciousness in, <laughs> in his own way so as we are starting out let's uh let's take a look at the cover first thing and just kind of analyze this very strange cover we're moving into 
an era of art on the X-Men that really changes things up. Jim Steranko is getting ready to come on the book. Uh, uh, Neil Adams is shortly after that. Um, we have a cover where a wall of robots in utero uh, are, a few of them are being birthed and jumping out at Jean Grey and uh, Cyclops. It says, what waits within the hive? And we also have the giant feature letters at the top, like we've had the last several issues, the X-Men featuring Cyclops and Marvel Girl. Uh, tell me a little bit of your thoughts on this cover. Um, <laughs> it's something. <laughs> I don't know if I would pick this one off the stands, personally, with a little uh, embryo folk. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, it's strange. It's it's a, it's a weird cover. It stands out. It catches the eye because it's bizarre. It reminds me a little, I don't know if you guys ever watched like Nick at Night growing up. It reminds oh, yeah. me a little of like Get Smart, which is a very 60s show. Uh, the kind of spy thriller a little bit. Um, See, I, 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 loved, I loved it because like, I, I did, when I was a kid and I was first like learning about X-Men, this, is, this was one of the comics that was up on the shop wall. And I was, when I was getting into it, I was like, what did the Cyclops and Marvel Girl have their own series? Like, what was this about way back in the day? And I thought that it did really like stick out to me. I have my copy with me here. I bought this at a con. Oh, cool. And, uh, and I just love the cover. I love it. It's, it and you, know, you mentioned Get Smart. Like, it's like a 60s pop feel to it. Mm -hmm, and I, mm -hmm. I would love if they, if Marvel made like posters of old covers, which they should, I feel like I would get this and I would frame this in my wall. So I'm on the opposite. <laughs> Clearly I really like this cover, but there's uh, some nostalgia there for you. Tell yeah, me what yeah. did you think? Uh, it, it, it's a weird cover. Cause it, it doesn't like you read it or you look at it and then you open the book and, and 75% of the comic is like Jean Grey and, and Cyclops working. <laughs> showing showing their new careers and jobs now that uh, Professor X is dead, kind of. Which lasts for um, one issue. <laughs> oh, of course it does, and then I'm sure he dies the next issue. Um, but yeah, I mean, it kind of looks like they're playing Connect Four, which is fun. That's that's something. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just like, like a Connect Four game gone bad or something like that. Um, yeah, I, I, it's it just kind of oozes 1960s. Like everyone, I'm sure the reference photos for this were insane. Um, but I, I think it would. I would. I would pick it up if I saw it. Uh, it would definitely. There's enough action going on. I'm kind of a fan of of when there's like movement on a cover instead of just posing. Mm. Um, I, I do. Feel like I that... do like. I like the, how um, the robots are coming towards the reader, and I like how if you look, it's almost like um, animation stills where you know one's in a fetal position, then one's sort of crouching to get up. One's crouching to get up even more. And then there's a, one jumping and then there's one in the final like full leap to show like it does as you as you look at it, it's sort of like it plays out where you realize like, oh, I know where the threat's coming from. But I, I'm, actually, very, yeah. I'm actually just piecing together. This is meant to be a hive of some kind. It literally says uh, what waits within the hive at the bottom, but it does not give me hive vibes at all. <laughs> <laughs> it is very interesting that uh, it says Cyclops and Marvel Girl in big letters and then you barely see them like you got cyclops is back on the cover which mm. is an interesting choice you see more of marvel girl but marvel girl's infamous me. green dress of course <laughs> they look more like those japanese like hotel pods that people stay in <laughs> i love it uh so as we open up the book uh, uh will are you willing to take the first kind of five pages tell us a little bit about what happens i'd love to hear your thoughts reactions on the art or story <laughs> like what, whatever shows well, up here is great I think it certainly shows its date, uh, the first five pages. It starts with 
Jean Grey, and she's now working essentially as what a supermodel, I suppose. For a day. For a day. <laughs> and uh she she just has you know people swooning over like the people that work for the company being like oh wow she's really attractive which is pretty disgusting uh and she yeah i like how it cuts into her head like oh yeah you know i'm just being a supermodel because i need to basically uh this is my life now essentially (laughs) um and I, I do like how she sort of fills us in on all the exposition of like what's happened recently. Cause for me, you know, I haven't read any of the old X-Men stuff. So it was nice just to get a little bit of background where I was like, all right, I see what's going on here. And then I, I kind of love when they do like, I am a superhero, but not, I can't be a superhero right now, but something happens where they still have to be a superhero, but like they can't put it on front street. And that's when the guy like trips over the, uh, the uh lighting for the for the shoot and my it's my favorite panel of the whole book right here is the guy looking over his shoulder as the lights are falling on him and he goes the lamp it's falling on me <laughs> like i'm if you have enough time to say that you move out the way of the lamp right like if you're like oh my god this lamp is gonna fall on me it's gonna crush he's trying me. to get work he's trying to get workers comp yeah <laughs> he's, he's hoping that that falls on him he's getting a big check afterwards <laughs> They also he, say that it's the third near miss like disaster that week, which makes me yeah. think that is not a very safe place to be working. <laughs> wires everywhere. And then after she stops that from happening, it's this, this is where the book really shows. Like, I think this was meant to be, I guess not charming, but I think, it, I guess it was more like, this is pretty much what women in the workplace had to deal with, which I mean, they still do today where the guy, basically the boss of the shoot, is like the assistant's like, well, that's like the third disaster that's nearly happened. Like, you must be our good luck charm. And he's like, oh, well, we'll show appreciation. How about like I take you out for dinner while I lean in to give you a kiss? Like, it's really weird. Uh, and then I just love Scott coming in and being like, hey, that's my fucking girlfriend, guys. Like, <laughs> just coming in. Like, but uh, he says a great line where when the guy's like, uh, Shall we say dinner at eight? And then he just comes out and always like, uh, shall we say pistols at dawn, mate? Like, shall we do that, mate? Like, that's my girlfriend right then. And poor Scott, like, he thinks that he's obviously helping, but he's actually making the situation much worse by stepping in to her workplace. And I don't blame her at all for leaving that situation. And that's that's pretty much the opening scene, right? And then obviously it cuts to the hive and compute well, computo we'll go to the hive in just a second if we go back to page one for just a sec i yeah. <laughs> i just want to read the as as they're filming or taking pictures of Jean gray the guy says she's fresh boss lady like an easter bunny or an oven hot biscuit what the fuck <laughs> they're, they're just they're just saying things Why? back in the 60s <laughs> i get i get oven hot biscuit because that's fresh yeah. out of the oven but easter bunny how's the easter bunny fresh i don't understand uh another guy says she's the tastiest package of goodies we've opened around here in oh. months. <laughs> wow uh if we go to page two there's three looks beautifully featured at the top uh which which uh bathing suit would you wear in public each of you definitely the third one i like the jazziness of it <laughs> the pattern i love it I like the middle one. Uh, it really reminds me of when my teacher sacrificed himself to save the world, you know, and I think it, it's a good vibe of <laughs> Chapose. 
It's uh, it's interesting. The the third one has got the blue and yellow, which is like her '90s costume. So that's little, true. Little, oh, yeah, and the first either. the first one, she just looks like Poison Ivy. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I would not look good in any of these suits. Uh, just noting <laughs> out loud. Um, I also wanted to note when uh when Cyclops come to the workplace, all of the models immediately fawn on him. They, they oh yeah start, yeah they start gropey groping, and Jean Grey's like, hey, that's mine. Uh, she she says the line uh. Uh, before you start planning any safaris, know this: you're poaching on my preserve, which is funny. They also they also call Cyclops uh, uh, Lee Marvin, who is a famous old actor. Uh, in the 1960s, he was kind of a white-haired action type kind of ladies' man uh, who was also a proponent for uh, gay rights even back in the 60s, which is uh, really? kind of incredible. So look up Gay, Mar- uh, gay Marvin, Lee Marvin, <laughs> if you haven't had a chance. Uh, I love his I love his polo. I mean his turtleneck and jacket combo. That's that's back in fashion now. Yeah, he's pretty stylish here, actually. What I love most about this issue so far is Gene rarely gets to be the focus of anything. And we have like three full pages that are all Gene, uh, which is this is kind of the first time. Occasionally we had that storyline for a while where she went off to college and dated Ted for a minute. But she was never really featured that much unless she's, you know, cooking in the kitchen and nursing everybody or like uh, I, I love seeing her kind of out on her own and being all body confident. Uh, it, it's it's kind of great. Chris, what did you love about this this issue? Um, I don't. Yeah, it's, I think part of it is, that, I mean, Cyclops and Gene are my favorite X-Men characters. So I think, uh, like you said, it's a chance to just kind of spend time with them, especially early on. And I think it's it's interesting. They're part of their development as characters. I do think a lot of it is just like it's silly and really goofy. Then, as you read it, it gets even goofier. But I do love that, like when the X Men needed to find cover and like go into hiding, Jean was like, "Well, I guess I'll become a supermodel." Like that, that's so, so effortless. Yeah. <laughs> and she's well, like, "This is a good excuse to why I'm away from home. I'm just a supermodel." <laughs> well, and it's called back to X Men number one, where she first gets her uniform and she's like feeling herself in the mirror. I don't know if you remember in the very first issue. That's one of her first appearances. Uh, uh, she's uh, She's got a little streak of confidence, which I love. <laughs> I also love seeing Cyclops and Jean banter. We often get that with, uh, with Beast and Bobby, right? But we, it's fun to see them go back and forth a little bit. Uh, Will, do you want to tell us what happens on page five, whether that first page of the, of the hive? Um, so it, this is pretty much like the, all right, we're activating like the, the main, uh, villains of the story here. The hive is sort of activated. He calls upon, uh, a bunch of different agent numbers, which kind of reminded me of Dragon Ball Z a bit with, the uh, the, the, what are they, uh, number 17, number 18, all that type of stuff. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, you know, it's classic villain stuff here. I'm mad. I'm by myself. People have pissed me off. Time to fuck him up, right? Like this is this is classic stuff for him. Yeah, the mysterious computer who is off panel, who is actually Quasimodo, is using a Reviva ray to awaken three robots out of the hive. It's it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, Reviva Reviva ray. It sounds like he'll turn that into like a a line of coffee beans or something. Like that. <laughs> uh, Tommy, do you want to take us through the next five pages? Of course. Um, it's 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 an interesting moment uh we find out not only that scott is a uh radio i wouldn't say dj just a, a radio correspondent um but also we find out that this magical technology called tape recording exists and uh there's so many cool things you could do with it like record uh trash in the mare three hours earlier and then it can play out later um i'm a big fan of this fascination with technology that to us now is uh 
literally nothing, but to them was magic, which is pretty fun, uh, especially when they're about to get attacked by um, a different form of technology, which is is, is pretty wild. Uh, I do think it's funny that, so it's it's Scott saying he's a radio correspondent and then uh, saying like, we're getting 20,000 watts, but we're about to get 50,000 watts with this baby coming in. Um, and then that's the exact moment that the computer robots uh, decide to attack because I guess they want that 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 50,000 watts, you know, that's that's the power that they're craving. Um, and then from there, it goes into the classic X-Men battle. Thank, thank goodness they were uh, watching over at that exact moment when the radio stuff was coming in. That worked, that worked out pretty well. Um, so there's three robots that are attacking. Um, each one of them, I, I thought going into it that there might have been some kind of like, uh, five senses thing going on because you got the the ultrasonic. Uh, that would have been cool. Yeah, you, you got like the ultrasonic robot who I who I feel like was trying to maybe go for hearing because it's like, but but I think it came more across as just like static electricity kind of thing. Um, we've, got, we've, get, got a, we've got a blue silver guy. I'll post images. Blue silver robot who's ultrasonic. We've got a pink robot, pink and purple, who has thermal hands. And then there's like a green robot that has some sort of bellows inside that allows him to blow gusts of air. Yeah, they they they, they seem to just kind of be like just, just working with what they got, you know, like the 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 pink guy is going to touch you. Uh, he doesn't actually touch anyone. <laughs> I'm, I'm very curious what happens when he does touch someone. Uh, I assume that they get burned, but you never know with this stuff. I maybe they just would have got grasped and then went, oh. well, not, a nice gentle hug or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> they look like they just look like um, off-brand knockoff He-Man action figures. They kind of do. Back in the, back in the Masters of the Universe, where they were just pumping out like twenty new toys every year and coming up with any nonsense design they could. Also, the blue one's the other one that actually looks like a robot. The other ones just look like creatures from the deep or something. Yeah, the blue. Yeah, one, is one of them very... looks like a fish. Very Kirby-esque. Yeah, yeah. Kirby cell. And one of them is called Cybertron, which is uh predates Transformers. So that was interesting. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. I think they're called the Cybertrons. I think uh okay. the computer and the Cybertrons is the way I read oh, it. Oh, right. Because my brother's Cybertron. So is it like my brother a Cybertron? Or my yeah, yeah, brother, yeah. Colin, that, whose that, name is Cybertron. <laughs> that green guy is my favorite, man. He's just so fucking weird. <laughs> yeah, he's my favorite on the team, too. I like I like how his main power is just not only blowing on him, but also the inhaling kind of knocked him off balance. Um, and then after he did his big blow move, he's like, "Now I'm just gonna jump on you because once you, once you use your main move, sometimes you just gotta jump on him." Uh, and I'm assuming that implies that he's inhaling and kind of becoming larger, but mm. that that wouldn't quite work. You know how how balloons exist. You know when when you fill up a balloon, yeah. it doesn't get heavier; it gets actually lighter. So this guy's kind of just filling himself up to look big, and then he's just gonna he's just gonna give him a big squish, I guess. I personally resonate with this character. <laughs> I uh, also inhale and squish things. If you look up in there. if you look up the Marvel Appendix entry on these characters, they dub these robots Thermatron, Vacutron, and Vibratron, which are kind of fun little names. And these these dudes they sound never... like sex toys, don't they? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. <laughs> These dudes never show up again that I'm aware of. They have never been in another Marvel comic book. Uh, Shame. It, it's a nonsense battle, but a lot of fun. Um, what did you What did you guys think of Cyclops's choice to become a, a, a news radio guy? He's so repressed normally. We see kind of a very relaxed, mm. chill, turtleneck Cyclops here. 
uh, and he works at this radio for one page. <laughs> well, what, it seems like he's a political reporter. I mean, because all the talk about the mayor. And I, I did find that interesting because it's like, I want to see the more political side of Cyclops. Because, I mean, he obviously later on, he becomes more radical uh, during actually the time when uh, Charles Soule was writing X-Men uh, during like Death of X era. So uh, I'd like to see the more political side of Cyclops. I'd, I'd like to see a whole issue with just him at this radio show and what he's saying about the mayor. He mentions Mayor Van Cleet, who in my research, there's no such person in real history. He also mentions a band, or Gene mentions a band called the Chocolate Covered Ash Can, which is not a real band either. Uh, uh, Tommy, what were your thoughts? Why, why is Cyclops a radio DJ? I, I mean, my guess is that uh, he would have done TV, but everyone would have questioned why he's always wearing sunglasses. Uh, <laughs> he has a face so, for radio. <laughs> exactly. He has a horrible eye lasers for radio. Um yeah, I think this is, it's a funny fit. Uh, I, I really enjoy the fact that it feels like they're both in hiding and they both pick very public facing careers. Uh, mm -hmm. I think just because they really like the attention, you know, like they went from superheroes to to trying to be celebrities, essentially. Um, I think they both would fit in really well with today, you know, it would have um, like Instagram model girlfriend, uh, podcast host boyfriend kind of vibes to this that whole thing. That would exactly be the modern yeah. day version of that, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, he, uh, yeah, I think he'd be like one of those, like, um, like a Pod Saves America kind of host, you know, where it's like uh, talking about politics, but also it's about me, kind of one of those moments. Um, so I think it's fitting. It's definitely fitting. I, I think every single superhero besides like maybe Peter Parker, uh, if they had to go into hiding but still pick a career, would probably uh, pick one that's still public facing because they really enjoy that uh, public facing aspect of it all, you know, not really actually going into hiding. Uh, but yeah, I, 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 I like that they did that and it's set up well for them to be getting the, the big brown box of 50 watt, uh, 50,000 watt electricity that, uh, is the whole catalyst for this whole event. I want to give a, I want to give a shout out to Irving Watanabe. May he rest in peace. There is some incredible, uh, lettering, uh, sound effects in this issue. Mm -hmm. The, uh, on page three, the whoa, 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 wong, like as the, as the yeah. lamp is falling, uh, all the electric like crazes and years and all these all these like little sound effects uh i think are actually really really fun uh the whoosh coming out of the the green guy's mouth uh it's 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 uh, kind of a master class in lettering i think it's fantastic uh and then uh chris will you take us through pages 11 through 15 i would love to um so we've got uh the green guy he's floating kind of like a uh like a, a blimp uh Jean also, I want to point out, is wearing like her summer version of her green dress where it's sleepless. It's a little oh, variation. Nice. <laughs> um, so yeah, they're, they're, they continue the fight. And then Jean, Cyclops has the idea for Jean to use her mental powers, which is, this is interesting because Chad, I, I have not read these issues in a while, but she didn't have telepathic abilities early on. But here Cyclops is saying that Professor X helped her with these. Yeah, and so uh, just a quick recap. So Professor X early in the X-Men seemed to have the ability occasionally to interface with robots using telepathy. So something about him being able to read the robot intelligence uh, upon his death, quote unquote, in a few issues ago, uh, and again, he'll later be revealed to be alive. He leaves a living will for the team and states that he has transferred his telepathic powers to Gene. Later <laughs> writers, later writers kind of refine that to say that he's been developing those talents. Uh, Chris Claremont goes back and adds the later continuity of when she was a child, she had that trauma of losing her friend, Annie. And then Professor X uh, uh, muted her telepathic powers. So only her telekinesis came out. 
but now she's starting to develop telepathy. Uh, so th there's kind of a, a few different uh, uh, methods of that. But yeah, she's using her powers here to track a robot. Like, let's follow him with yeah. telepathy. <laughs> Good thing he left those in the will because she's able to track the robot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they track they track them back to this hive, which is like a, uh, a construction site. Uh, very bizarre, but we don't need to worry about it too much, I don't think. Did you notice um, the sign is Apex Sand and Gravel Co. Inc.? So it's both uh, <laughs> company and incorporated at the same time. <laughs> robots <laughs> um so then they go down to the tunnels and uh one of them says it's reminiscent of the carlsberg cavern so i guess one of them has been there or that is really into that that and uh then when they see it this is one of my favorite panels uh cyclops compares it to <laughs> a robot witch's circle and gene is this this is gene gray who will later become the phoenix and see many things she is this in disbelief here saying i don't believe it scott i just can't believe it <laughs> <laughs> now i assume this predates uh sentinels right nope sentinels came out uh really uh, x-men 13 this is x-men 44 or 48 i mean so yeah they've sentinels have been around for a while but they've never come back yet we haven't seen them back again okay so now maybe this is toying again with the idea of, of bringing back giant robots for the x-men to fight yeah maybe we, we're gonna see them again in a couple issues actually they come back uh relatively soon scarier the original sentinels kind of look like toy soldiers that are marching like you know it's, uh, really? it's still, yeah yeah so then we get to the uh the the main robot here uh decides that the blue robot is going to be canceled so this is the first appearance of cancel <laughs> culture in popular culture <laughs> and they throw this robot what did they do uh the automatic canceler which is also what exists on Twitter, I think, when you get canceled, <laughs> you get thrown in the automatic canceler. And then, uh, yeah, so then they appear, Cyclops appears, start blasting. Um, and they, just, they just start fighting this, these robots here. Um, and then Chad, I guess, is, is it your 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 time to reveal? You, who the... you can take that last page if you want. Okay, <laughs> what an honor. <laughs> so it's revealed to be Quasimodo. Um, who I'm, I'm glad you gave that uh, refresher at the beginning, Chad, because I was like, was he from previous X-Men stories? Uh, Just a couple and, of random issues of the Fantastic Four. And I'm shocked that he appeared like 20 more times after that, because <laughs> I don't see a lot of potential here for this character, but uh, really uh, common for these early X-Men stories too. It seems like the last couple pages, the writer gets an idea and decides to do a, a quick swerve. Um, I don't know if we needed to reveal his Quasimodo. I don't know if like, I would I would love to know like fans reading this book at the time, if they were like blown away by this reveal or if it could have just been Computo at the end. It didn't really need to happen. I feel like this is similar to the Mutant Master reveal. I'm guessing most of the fans reading were like, Quasi who? <laughs> Give us more of that <laughs> model and radio show stuff. <laughs> or, or was it just a ploy to get people to pick up more Fantastic Four books? What does it say at the bottom? Surely you remember old quasi-motivational. Oh, it doesn't even say. Yeah, they that. don't tell you where. Oh, okay. No, well, then never mind. Fan is really assuming a lot there. <laughs> uh, like you you got to remember Quasimodo that we introduced that one time. Remember, he's also a computer. You know. Do any of you have a quasi-motivational destruct organ? And if so, you should get it checked. <laughs> I think it's my kidney. I don't know. Everyone, everyone pick their, everyone pick their Quasimodo destruct organ. Probably, probably my liver. I'm drinking tequila right now. So. <laughs> uh, 
Quasimodo just so happens to have an underground river pre-programmed to help him escape. So he kind of just pushes a button, jumps in the water, and they're like, oh no, he's escaping, and floods the base, and Gene and Cyclops get out just in time. Uh, <laughs> Weird choice for a computer, man. <laughs> Cyclops gives like a final blurb at the end that is very beast-like. He says, uh, she says, uh, Gene says, well, that, that ends the threat of Quasimodo for now. And he says, that's all we can ever ask for, Gene. Evil as is as recurrent as the cataclysmic upheavals of nature that convulse our planet from time to time, which is such a non-Cyclops thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> Not like Adam West Batman or something. It does yeah, sound no, like Adam really West is. Batman. <laughs> Uh, before we before we transition, what do you guys think of uh, of Quasimodo's costume? I I dig it. What do you like about it? Uh, I like there's something about the simplicity of this this old art. Like from an artist's point of view, I would love to draw that because you just get to focus on the big brooding muscles. But I really like the the I don't I can't tell if it's a, is it a hood or is it a metallic shape creating over his head i really don't know it looks like a little babushka <laughs> <laughs> yes it's a, yeah, like a like russian a, grandmother a little, a little, yes exactly yes and you know what that's charming as hell uh <laughs> it reminds me more of like old school captain america villains which are really fun to draw as well like there's just something uh simple and cool about it and and he does remind me of like if you're like oh that's the hunchback i'd be like yeah i get it yeah, it's a similar color to, I think the Melter had that color. Like those I'm early not... Marvel villains had like, it was either purple and green or like orange and, and uh, green. Orange and green is not a, it's not a, I don't know. It's a little bit of an eyesore, <laughs> that color combo, I think. You don't see it's any here. Halloween times. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't really like the pattern on his back. That looks annoying as shit to draw. Yeah, yeah. That's a strange, yeah, that's a strange one. It's like a pretzel. <laughs> yes, he has a, he has a pretzel on his back. Um, let me wrap up the final five pages uh, relatively uh, quickly. We have the, our five-page backup story, which they're running in the, the feature. We're, we're switching the feature from Beast, I'm sorry, from Iceman to Beast, who gets the next several. Uh, but this one is all about Beast's powers. Uh, this is written by Arnold Drake again, penciled by Werner Roth, and inked by John Verporten, and lettered by uh, Irving Watanabe. So basically the same team, except one penciler here. Uh, we open with a giant splash of Beast bouncing off all the walls, leaping into the air. His giant feet and hands are featured. There's a uh, written in cursive across the top. Welcome, dear reader, to the edifying and scintillating saga of yours truly, the Beast. Uh, he just gets to showcase his powers for a couple of pages, which is kind of fun. We see early Beast. This is the guy that's going to be blue and furry later. He's still got all these parts, the bouncy stuff. Now he's just a crazy scientist and, you know, murderer in the comics. <laughs> it's a little different version of him. Uh, but we get to see him kind of showcasing how his feet are basically his superpower, his hands as well. They are very flexible. They are super strong. He can climb up walls. He can bounce off things. He can jump off a building and land safely. Uh, and write can, his name with his toes. Write his name with his toes. He can type. He uh, There's a weird image of him laying on his back with his feet up on the wall. <laughs> He's I love that. That's, I love that drawing. It's it's really fun. Uh, he also can wire computers with them. I, my my first recollections of Beast were the early '90s X Men cartoon where he's always hanging from the ceiling and, and you know writing things upside down and doing lab work. Uh, he also talks about how he is very smart. In one panel, he says. 
the arts have always fascinated me as well. Perhaps you may have, uh, excuse me, perhaps you have made note of a certain refinement in my speech, which is a consequence of long hours spent delving through Shakespeare, Plato, Tolstoy, McLuhan, and uh, Thor, which made me laugh out loud, actually, the fact that he included Thor on his list. Uh, he, he talks about how he's having trouble picking one discipline because he just wants to learn everything. We get a thought bubble of him thinking about like, chemistry and sculpting and writing and music and theater like he just wants to do it all uh but then he just jumps back into action we see him at the end climb a building and jump into one of professor xavier's many many helicopters uh what did you guys like about this final five pages where uh, we get this kind of silly fun beast focused uh space i particularly like the focus on him riding with his feet because it reminds me of uh an episode of the office when dwight's trying to use his feet all the time because so, he said he thinks it's going to make him a superior being in the future and he's and he's like he spills like some coffee he's like let me write you an apology note and he like gets uses his toes like dear pan like with his toes it's great um this is we like just we should all fun, try right? this later yeah oh I, god i i have the dexterity of an action figure <clears throat> from the 1980s i can move like this and that's about it like oh my god my wife makes fun of me all the time if I have to pass something to her on the sofa, I, it's this far, like past my chin. I'm like, here you go. And she's like, you need to reach out. I'm like, I cannot. I like um, his uh, bookcase because he has books that are called science, math, history. And I wanted yeah, to know yeah, the, gen- the general ones. Not <laughs> volume book one. On math. Not volume one doesn't just say book on it. <laughs> Shakespeare, Voltaire, Proust, Homer. He's got got words. <laughs> pages the, on those Oof. the books just below that he doesn't get to till later but there's things like weaponizing viruses and yeah. time travel you know, things like that. <laughs> uh, uh i don't know any other thoughts on this final few pages uh, I, I i i mean are you say no go ahead I, was, I i like like from a reader point of view like I, I love just like being introduced to a character like this like it's one of those moments where it, it's a fun way to just like read like a Wikipedia article on them, essentially. Like it's just a very entertaining way. Like the art's fantastic. There's so many like great little action things. But then I just imagined also like talking to Beast while he's saying all this stuff. Cause like all of it's, you know, like he's, he's vocalizing it. Uh, and it just sounds like, it's like you, you meet him and you're like, oh, like he seems really cool, but he just keeps talking about his feet. Like, is that, is that weird? Like <laughs> he loves just bringing up his feet and how cool they are. Um, it's, it's like he goes on a date and he just brings up his feet over and over again. He wants this girl to know he has a foot thing. Like <laughs> That was, I mean, the internet has broken me because that's all I could think about. Like the, where he's like drawing with his feet and stuff. Like I imagine going on a hinge date with Beast and afterwards your friends are like, oh, like how was he? And he's like, oh, well, he kind of bragged a lot and he kept just like bringing up his feet. So like, I don't know if that's a thing that he's doing or not, but he, he reads history and math. So I, I think, I think he's with his cool. feet. With his feet, he's, he really kept bringing up the feet. <laughs> he's charging $20 a month for his OnlyPans site. Just pictures of his feet. <laughs> Which is him just like writing, it's like he'll write out your name and someone's like, oh, I'll give you like 20 quid for that, mate. That's amazing. His most famous one is he's just, he's got his whole foot in his mouth. You know, everybody, everybody's <laughs> very into it. <laughs> oh there is, um, there's I'm one line bang. towards the end where he says, but anytime I become even mildly depressed by these strange body members of mine, which hints a kind of a sadness there, that beast. Mm, and then he's true. like, when I'm depressed, I climb a building and jump on a helicopter. <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> so not, not healthy, but. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, Will, what did you think of Warner Roth's pencils throughout this book? Did you enjoy the uh, art here? I did. I I really actually um, enjoyed it quite a lot. It's so refreshing to to go back and see uh, where art was during this time period. I mean, after the nineties infusion, well, I guess it started with the eighties with Brian Boland and stuff like that. But comic book art has become so complicated now, where it's just I I kind of wish it was as simple as it used to be just in terms of like having a weekend off you know <laughs> so like it, it's it's just really charming but also like you get all the all the information you need is there like there's there's nothing missing like and what one thing i appreciate about a lot of older convert art that people don't really use today even i don't use it at all is the the motion lines they use like that opening shot of beast with all those like motion lines and the little explosions showing Beast has been here, 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 here. And now he's right there in front of you on this page. I love that. And I, I need to start doing more of that because it just, it, it tells you all the information you need to know. Um, and uh, I just, yeah, I feel like motion lines are kind of dead in for the most part in modern comics. Um, as we are wrapping up, just a reminder, most people have not read the 60s books. I hope all three of you had a really lovely time reading mm. this fun issue and just kind of analyzing. Uh, as I'm going through these, I, I now like associate particular comic book issues with particular groups of people. Every podcast we get to bring together uh, talented, educated, passionate people who uh, have generally not met before, and we get to just kind of nerd out together for a while. So uh, I will forever associate this issue with the three of you, and that is a good thing. I had a great time uh, chatting with all of you today. Um, as we are kind of wrapping up, let's go in the same order, uh, uh, Will, Tommy, and then Chris. Uh, where can everybody find you online? And are you able to share anything uh, about what might be coming up for you, recognizing that this issue, or uh, issue, excuse me, this episode will come out uh, on uh, July 5th. Uh, on Gray Malkin Lane, you can find us, Gray Malkin PP Lake Podcast on Twitter or just under Gray Malkin Lane on Instagram. We have uh, the Trial of the Angel coming up in our next episode. Uh, featuring a really fun uh, a panel of jury members with uh, Hussein Rashid and Sarah Century and Bradley Clayton are all coming back. So uh, check us out. Uh, uh, Will, how about you? So you can find me anywhere at Robson Inc. And that's I-N-K. Uh, that was my silly attempt to try and make a pun on Robson Incorporated, but <laughs> saying that I am also an Inca, but it confuses the shit out of people. Anyway, we so it's you should have done Will Robson Company Incorporated, like that sign. Yes, I should have. Yes, that would have that would have been better. So it's Robson I and K. Uh, I'm on Twitter uh, a lot. That's where I'm most active, and then uh, Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff. Uh, I co-host, as I said, uh, my own podcast with my brother called Sp It's called Spider Man: The Animated Series Podcast, where we do episode reviews and interviews with cast members and writers from the show we just had john semper jr on a two-parter he's the creator of the show so that was amazing to sit down and talk to him um so those are up now and uh in terms of things that i have coming up i uh have a book that will be out by the time this is, this is done my first ever dc comics book which is earth prime issue six and as i said it's a cw crossover book so it's the CW characters slightly in the future and it follows mostly impulse. Um, and it's, it's a really fun little story uh, with 
the cameos in this book like i think i drew 50 characters from the show like it's crazy like it's it's action packed so that's fun i've got a batman book out in a few months my first of the batman work and then i got a few other things in the works that i can't talk about but you'll be seeing a lot of really cool writing and drawing from me in the foreseeable future fantastic uh thank you for sharing and i look forward to everything you have coming up i think your art is incredible uh tommy how about you uh, like Will, uh, I'm mostly on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at my name, so it's Tommy underscore Stella. Um, I mostly tweet about Star Wars and then random thoughts that pop into my head. But sometimes I do tweet about my comics that I've been working on. Uh, you can find those. It's easy to find them on my Twitter if you go in there. But uh, our website is co-stella.com. Um, every issue that I've worked on with Echo is on that website. Um, they're kind of like a series. Every every story is a one-off story but they all deal with like very similar themes of uh like mental health uh, isolation um other sad things but I, I i surround them with a bunch of jokes um the goal was basically to write some stuff that i really would have loved to have as like a teen uh stuff that i was afraid to talk about but was experiencing um so yeah t- tons of fun but uh, they're, they're all available on there for free uh hopefully it's easy to read i really took a really long time on squarespace trying to figure out a way to organize them properly um we're going to be working on another one soon or at some point over the summer that should be coming out, which is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and then otherwise, I'm currently scripting out a children's horror comic, which is a fun uh, combination of words to say. Uh, and hopefully that will is be... Is it called Moose Humps? <laughs> what? Is it called Moose Humps? Instead of, no. instead of Goosebumps? <laughs> yes, thank you. It wasn't I don't, clear. I don't need R.L. Stein coming for me. Um, <laughs> it's Moose Humps. Also, I, I don't want to go into like a Barnes & Noble in the kids section and be like, you guys want to read Moose Humps? <laughs> They'd, I'd, uh, I'd get escorted out pretty quick, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say like Goose Pimples. Um, so yeah, so a lot of exciting stuff on the horizon. Hopefully one day uh, you'll see me in one of your uh, local comic book shops. Fingers crossed. Well, and if you look at Tommy's uh, website, uh, the the C-O-S-T-E-L-L-A, there's some of his comics are there. Home was my personal favorite, but there's a cute story called Self-Destruct about a gay couple, which is adorable too. Uh, so check those out. It's it, it's really fun. Great work, Tommy. Thank you very much. And, and, and you'll, you'll pass- definitely, you'll get there one day, Tommy, absolutely into the, the mainstream because I can hear the passion of, of that stuff. So you just got to keep at it. Just keep at it. Well, it's made my day. Thank you. And pass on my uh, regards to Echo. I think uh, I think they're fantastic. Yeah, beautiful. They are. Um, I agree. Yeah, Chris, how about you? Yeah, um, you can find me on Twitter at uh, my name with the letter A in the middle. So it's A-C-H-R-I-S-A-H-A-S-S-A-N. Um, I sometimes use Twitter and then sometimes I get tired of it and then I come back because I always have to promote X Men Monday. But uh, <laughs> X Men Monday is on uh, aaptcomics.com every Monday. Um, we have, like I said, let me look at my schedule here. So we've got Roy Thomas. Uh, so this is, this is coming out in July. So in the distant past, if you missed it, go back and read the second Roy Thomas interview I did, which I listened to Chad's interview with Roy Thomas, made sure I didn't ask any of the same questions. <laughs> so this one has questions about developing Scott and Jean's romance, Candy Southern, her origins. Um, we talked a little bit about the movie he was involved with writing in the 80s with uh, Jerry Conway. And we also uh, talk about Neil Adams a little bit, which is pretty good, and, and look back on his career since they had uh, that great run. Um, and then uh, after that, we've got Jordan D. White talking about ex-dads for Father's Day. And then this is breaking, but uh, in the distant past, it'll be old news. But uh, <laughs> Luciano uh, Vecchio, who's doing the Iceman story, oh, he's going to be... 
he's going to be answering fan questions as well. So about Iceman. So that's exciting. Um, and then in July, I guess I'm going to Hellfire Gala and uh, Judgment Day coming up. So I'm sure we'll be doing a lot around that. And then at the end of July, it's my birthday. So, you know, I'll send all the presents. <laughs> DM me all the presents on Twitter. Um, send nudes. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Nude X-Men fan art. No, no, Send thank you. Send feet pics. <laughs> yeah, those I'm yeah. fine with. And, and the, moose, the moose humps are fine. Oh, too. yeah. Go send, send moose humps. <laughs> Nudes and moose humps. That's what we're looking for. Uh, fantastic. Uh, what an honor to uh, to sit with each of you. Uh, to share with you briefly, Chris, based on what you just said, every time I, I I get a guest that agrees to come on, I'm like, oh my god, it's Will Robson. This is incredible. Or or Adam Gorham or 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 Zach Gorman. Like this is amazing. When I booked, when I heard back from Roy, I was like, <gasps> like jaw to the floor, like holy shit. Like it, it was uh, it was just a, a stunning moment. And I think you can hear that in my uh, interview on the podcast. If you haven't heard it, go back and listen. Uh, I had a similar sentiment with Anne Nesenti, who I just grew up idolizing. Um, what a what a blessing it is to sit with each of you this afternoon. Thank you for sharing your uh, time and talents. Um, any final words before we wrap up? Keep those moves humps up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I want, I'm going to second that one. Yeah, that's enough said. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, thank you again so much. Loose, loose dumps. That's the single loose dumps. Oh, oh, that's there's a medicine for that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you're on fire. Put yourself out really quick. Hurry. (laughs) (laughs) All right, gentlemen. We'll see you back here next time uh, on uh, Gray Malkin Lane. Thank you so much for listening to Gray Malkin Lane. I'm pouring a lot of time, labor, and love into this podcast, and I truly hope you are enjoying it. We're seeking to create a unique space here, and I'm really proud of what we've put out so far and really excited about what we have coming up. Gray Malkin Lane is recorded and edited at a private studio in Salt Lake City, Utah. Music and editing are done by my husband, Michael Bell. Gray Malkin Lane can be found on Twitter at Gray Malkin P, P like podcast, and on Instagram under Gray Malkin Lane. If you're enjoying our work, help us spread the word about this unique podcast. Please leave us a good review wherever you listen and check out our bonus content and fan engagement on Patreon. We'll see you back here next episode on Gray Malkin Lane.